woke. Time to get up. Hello and welcome to Thought You Were Woke No Speed Limit Podcast. I am your host, Alvin. I hope you're having a wonderful day. Let's just get straight to the story. An Arizona police officer who fatally shot a man in a wheelchair is being fired by the Tucson PD. Officer Ryan Remington shot and killed 61 years old Richard Lee Richardson, who was in a motorized wheelchair after he brandished a knife and was told not to enter Lowe's department store. In police body cam footage provided by another officer at the scene, Officer Remington can be seen telling Mr. Richardson not to enter the Lowe's store and then open firing from behind Mr. Richardson, striking him nine times in the back and the side. Mr. Richards slumped over in his motorized wheelchair and fell to the ground. Officer Remington proceeded to handcuff Mr. Richardson, who later died at the scene. Tucson Police Chief Chris Magnus gave further details about the incident from Mr. Richardson. Mr. Richards had been asked to produce a receipt by a Walmart associate after being accused of stealing a toolbox from the Walmart store across the street. Mr. Richardson then brandished a knife to the employee and said, here's your receipt. As he exited the Walmart and went to the parking lot, Officer Remington, who was working as an off-duty security security guard at the store then asked Mr. Richards to stop and hand over the knife to which Mr. Richardson said if you want me to put down the knife you're gonna have to shoot me. Officer Remington continued to pursue Mr. Richardson as he crossed the street to the Lowe's shopping center. Remington demanded that Richardson stop trying to enter the store but Richards did not stop and Officer Remington opened fire fatally wounding Mr. Richardson. Chief Magnus condemned the shooting, saying his use of deadly force in this incident is a clear violation of the department's policy and directly contradicts multiple aspects of our use of force policy and training. Adding this, that this has deeply disturbed and troubled him by seeing Remington's actions and the department has moved to terminate Officer Remington. Mayor Regina Romero said Remington's actions were unconscionable and indefensible. It is moments like this that test our resolve to ensure justice and accountability. She concluded by saying that we owe this to all the Tucsonians. Remington has pledged to appeal the termination. Remington's attorney, Mike Story, also the uh, lawyer for the police union, union condemned the firing calling the statements made by Mangus and Romero as politically motivated. He also defended the actions of Remington, saying he attempted to de-escalate situations until he had no other choice. In other comments, Story said police business is messy at times. The county prime attorney general's office is investigating the case. Uh... <laughs> I watched this video and I was in shock and horror. There's more to this than you see. Okay, for one thing, he followed the man across the street. The officer Remington followed Mr. Richardson across the street from Walmart. He was slow rolling, by the way. And he was constantly uh, talking to him. I guess he was trying to get him to de-escalate. But at some point, he got on the radio with uh, the dispatch for the police department telling him that he had this man who was crossing the street. 
he had brandished a weapon to a Walmart employees, and now he was brandishing a, a knife on him, and uh, <clears throat> that he had needed help because he was now going to the Lowe's parking lot. So he had crossed the street to the Lowe's parking lot, was going into the Lowe's store, when another officer pulled up, and this is where the body cam footage uh, comes in. And it's so disturbing to watch. He tells the man, stop, stop, stop. And before the man gets into the store, he shoots him nine times. Now, according to Remington, there was a a girl at the door. And I saw it from the the camera footage from Lowe's. Lowe's camera footage picks up where uh, the body camera footage kind of cuts off because the officer that had the body cam ran back to get some kind of med pack from her car. Um... She was standing at the door. She saw the incident. The officer opened fire. She ran away from the door. I I can imagine the therapy the young lady is going to need after seeing that. I can just imagine. But I'm also concerned about why was this the only way this officer could stop this man? Because according to the attorney, something I didn't put here is that he had no other options, that he couldn't use a taser. He had all these other things he had to worry about because if he used a taser, which makes no sense. The, the lawyer was basically saying, well, there would be a complaint because he used a taser. Then they were talking about, well, what if they used a beanbag gun? He said, well, then there would be a complaint because he, he could have got injured or killed by the beanbag. Come on, those are all excuses to me. That's all all about excuses. So in this case, here we go. Story number one of the day. An officer is killed. I mean, an officer has, not an officer killed, but uh, a person is killed by an officer. And, of course, the stories are going out, and as usual, the media does its research on the person that's killed. Mr. Richardson does have a record. He has an incident where he was charged with attempted murder because he got his hand on the gun of a police officer and shot it. I don't know if he shot it at the officer. I don't know any of the details of that, but he did shoot at the officer. He was arrested for trying to sneak two people into the United States from the Mexico border. That was two of the incidents that brought up about the man. So the man has a disturbing past and may have some mental issues. Now, here's another thing that the... Remington's attorney was trying to say that he was obviously trying to get death by a cop because this ain't the first time he did that. Well, I got a problem with that, Mr. Story, because here's what the problem I have is if it's death by a cop, then why was Mr. Remington willing to grant his wish? So here's our first incident of the day, a social issue of the highest standards. (laughs) I don't know when in this country we're going to solve this issue with with police reform. I don't know what we're going to do. I, I At some point, I'm going to talk about qualified immunity. You know, that's where liability has been taken off the police officer. Basically, he wouldn't have to pay anything. He could still lose his job, of course, if, if the department decides he, he didn't do anything wrong. But he has no liability for the things that he do. Uh, in other words, he made a split-second decision to shoot this man and right now, the only thing they can say is we just got to figure out whether it was justifiable or not. Looking at the scene, there's several things that could have happened. There was a young lady at the door. She could have been injured, even though he shot the gun directly at the man in the wheelchair. The man was in a wheelchair, a motorized wheelchair. Here's another thing you don't know about Mr. Richardson. You know how he got in that motorized wheelchair? He fell, I guess he was climbing a mountain. I don't know if he was climbing a mountain or standing on the edge of a mountain, but he fell from a mountain. So he was now permanently in a wheelchair. 
the question is, could the man walk? That was something the attorney was asked. He said he doesn't know. There was rumors that he got up in the store. That's how he got the toolbox. I don't know all of those questions. But we do know he was crossing the stro street very slowly. And this is from the words, from the mouth of Mr. Remington's attorney. He was crossing the street very slowly from Walmart to Lowe's. So anywhere in between that time, you could have stopped the man without killing him. You could use your taser, which apparently Mr. Remington also had. I'm going to say Mr. Remington now because he's no longer a police officer. He could have used that. He could have stopped that. But instead, he chose to use deadly force. And now... The sociopathic mentality of the police department is we're defending the man saying he had no other choice. When in fact he had several choices. With the life in danger of that young woman in the store, maybe she was standing at the door, but you as an officer say, stay back, get away from, get away from this situation. Tell that young lady to get back from the door. You could have done that. No, instead I'm going to stop him from entering this building, which actually he was not entering the building. He was entering the garden center which is outside the building. He was entering the garden center. Sure, there's a cashier at the door usually, uh, but he was entering the garden center. So he was not actually in the physical store as of yet. So you had opportunity to stop him. So you decided to shoot him instead. You shot him nine times, not in the front, but in the back and the side. Now this man is dead at 61 years old. Regardless of whatever he did before. And this is what the media does to destroy a person. They put this information out here. So now, all of a sudden, it's, you know, we've we got to kind of set up the situation. No, you can set up the situation better than that. It's not necessary to even put that information out here about Mr. Richardson. It was not at all. And I think that was a terrible job by the media in the first place. We already see that this man is a victim of gunfire. He's a victim in this case. He was the one that was injured. I was so upset by this. I, I, I was in tears when I saw the video because it's like there's so much you could have done before we got to this point. And that's going to be the running theme of all the things I'm going to talk about today. This is just the first of three stories. Um, but the running theme through each one of these stories is something could have been done beforehand before we get to the point where someone is dead. This fatality. Life should mean more than that. And I don't understand why the officer, he claims he was trying to de-escalate the situation. Well, if you can't get the man to do right, well, pull out the taser and shoot. I've seen officers do that before. They pull out the taser, take somebody down that's just not being cooperative, even with a knife. This, this story just sickens me every time I read it and watch it. And now it's under investigation by the Attorney General Office. I, I hope something comes out of that. A lot of times, you know, with these police investigations, with the union right behind you, because let me tell you something. Story mentions the fact this is a union. I've been in 400. He said 400 other incidences where police have shot someone. 400. That's a lot of police shootings to have been in as, a, as an attorney for the, the, the Tucson, for the police union. That's a lot. I don't know if they were all in Tucson, but they are probably were in Arizona somewhere and it's just ridiculous to even hear this how why I don't know you know we go and we talk about police reform and the need for police reform all the time and this hearing this story is just so disheartening so just seeing this story it was horrible 
A man in a wheelchair with a knife is a threat to a man who physically is walking with a bulletproof vest who can who can stand at a distance and shoot you at any time. I think that is what's horrible. I think that is what's awful. The, no reason, no reason, rhyme or reason for this. What could we have done to prevent it? That's what we should look at. Hey folks, hope you're enjoying the show. Just thought I would take a moment to invite you to subscribe to Thought You Were Woke, No Speed Limit Podcast, and let you know that our podcast is available on multiple platforms, including Spotify, Google, Apple, Facebook, YouTube, Amazon, Overcast, Stitcher, Breaker, CastBox, Pocket Cast, and Anchor. Also, make sure to hit the bell notification so that you will be notified when the next episode is available. Now back to the show. In my second disturbing story of the day, let's talk about the Michigan shooting. Michigan teen shoots 11 people, killing four and wounding seven others at a school. On November 26, Ethan Crumbly opened fire on his classmates in the school hallway, killing four people and wounding seven others. Ethan has been charged as an adult with terrorism, murder, and other charges related to the tragedy. James and Jennifer Crumbly, parents of Ethan, have also been charged with involuntary manslaughter, charges related to the mass shooting. James Crumbly had purchased a weapon used in the shooting only a few days before. Jennifer Crumbly is shown in a social media post with Ethan testing out the weapon the day before the crime was committed at a shooting range. Just hours before the school shooting, this is what's most disturbing of all, Ethan and his two parents met with school officials over disturbing signs that Ethan was exhibiting in the past two days. Ethan had sketched a drawing with a gun and bloody bullets, as well as a posting the gun online and researching ammo. Ethan's parents decided against uh, bring him home that day. The parents also failed to notice that the firearm was missing from an unlocked drawer in the house that that day. Nathan was allowed to return to class after meeting with his parents and school officials. Shortly after this meeting, Nathan attacked his schoolmates, killing four and wounding seven others, including a teacher. Nathan's mom, Jennifer Crumbly, allegedly texted Nathan about being caught looking up ammo. According to prosecutors, the text read, LOL, I'm not mad. You just have have to learn how not to get caught. Really? Later after Jennifer Crumbly heard about the shooting and text, Ethan, don't do it. James Crumbly later reported that the gun was missing from their home after he rushed home upon hearing about the shooting. Here's the part I'm not telling you about those two, James and Jennifer. They didn't just turn themselves in when they got charged. Oh, no, no. They had to send the U.S. Marshals after those two. So here goes story number two. And I have nothing nice to say about story number two because story number two is just bloody awful. I mean, it's terrible. There was failure all the way around with this story. We failed this young man from the get-go. The school had an opportunity to stop the shooting beforehand. It did not do what it should have done properly. It met with the parents, and when the parents refused to have the kid, the child leave the school, someone should have said, first, let's check this child's bag. Found the gun in the bag. Now, we need to remove the child. Instead of telling the kids, 
tell the parents, this is what they tell the parents, you need to find counseling for your child within 48 hours. That's what they did. That is an awful response to a situation like this. So here, here we go with situation number two, how this could have been prevented. This child, first of all, was given a tool that he could use. To, <clears throat> I guess his parents thought this would brighten up his day. <clears throat> Probably something he's been asking for for quite some time. They didn't question why this young man wanted this weapon. They got it for him. Then he goes to the school. The school's starting to see things that are a little disturbing. He's making this vi- he made this image. Now here's the thing I didn't say, and I should I should have said this on the post was when he wrote this down. He said he said, "Please help me." He says, I, "I it's like it's like he was starting to get these these urges," and he said, "Help me." And it had something to do with killing people because it showed one where two bullets were wounding and where where two a person had been shot in one of these drawings he made. His parents just kind of like, okay, well, we'll talk to him. It's not that big of a deal. And I guess the text was, he's like, mom, are you mad at me? No, LOL, I'm not mad. You just have to learn how not to be get caught. Okay, now you look guilty as hell as parents because guess what? Ah, you're just so gun-toting happy that you got your child a gun. Wouldn't trained with him. You're just so happy because he's expressing his Second Amendment rights. So apparently, and I don't really know if this story is true or not, Jennifer Crumbly wrote a letter to Trump saying, thank you for helping us keep our Second Amendment rights. I don't know if that's true, and I will not say that that's true on this show. Uh, James Crumbly, too, he's involved because he bought the gun for his son. So not only that, they weren't brave enough to stand up and say, hey, look, I'll take the charges. If they're wrong, you know, we're not guilty. You know, we're not guilty of the crime. No, they ran. They were hiding. That's how the marshals found them, and they were arrested for this. There's nothing that I can say that is great and wonderful about any of this. I mean, we're talking about 11 people, four of whom are dead, hurting parents, hurting family members, children who are an entire school damaged, I saw a video where these kids were in one of the classrooms, you know, they were recording this. They thought, they didn't know if there was a police coming to the door or not. They heard and said, hey, bro, let me in the room. And so he said, bro, that's definitely a, war, uh, a red flag. All of them jumped out the, the the window to get out of the building. Just imagine how many people could have been hurt, could have been killed by this young, disturbed individual. I can't say anything else about it. It's disturbed. We keep seeing this image of young people with guns and the problems with it. You know, we talked about Kyle Rittenhouse, and I hate to bring that up, but here's a 17-year-old boy who thought the way to solve the problems with a gun. So here goes another kid, 15, who solves a problem with a gun the wrong way. And some of his classmates say he suffered from depression. This is not a psychological evaluation. This is just based on what other people said that he he looked down, tried, and every day when he came to class, he was he was an individual that wasn't very happy. So all the warning signs of a problem were there, and this was an, a systematic failure all the way around. This is story number two, and it only gets worse.
Let's talk about the city of Birmingham, Alabama for a moment. Birmingham reaches an ominous 100 homicide milestone. On October 29, 2021, it was an ominous day in the city of Birmingham, Alabama. Early that morning, police were investigating two deadly shootings in Inslee and Norwood communities. The two shootings would become the 99th and 100th murders in the city this year. That is one day later than the milestone that was reached in 2020 on October 28th. The city of Birmingham has a population of 200,733. It is considered one of the deadliest cities in America per capita. Birmingham is ranked third among deadliest cities with a murder rate of 50.6 per 100,000 people. The state of Alabama is seventh in the nation with 8.3 per capita murder rate. <laughs> and I want to bring this up, okay? So, you know, people say, oh, look at that. Look at Birmingham and all those black people down there and acting a fool and, and dying. This ain't the only city that's having problems. We can talk about Aniston. We can talk about Chicago. We can talk about New York City, Atlanta. All the major cities have problems. But statewide, Alabama is ranked seventh, and so are most southern states. These are gun-wielding, gun-loving states. Not all of those homicides, of course, in Birmingham were committed by gun. And uh, 16 of those particular homicides were were considered justifiable. Either way, that's 16 lives lost. As a nation, we have to do better with our culture. As a nation, we need to do better as a people. But looking at Birmingham, this is awful. And, and Alabama is an impoverished state. It's not one of the high-ranking states as far as uh, wealth goes. Cost of living is low here, but it, low there. But um, life expectancy is low as well. You have places like Birmingham itself where the average income, you know, a family of four is making $30,000 a year. Where right across the hill, there's another suburb where people make 80, families make $80,000 a year. Though there are crimes in those areas, not saying that there aren't crimes there as well. They aren't to the level they are in Birmingham. The violence of the crime. And... Every scientist has said there's a direct correlation between poverty and crime. Poverty and violence. And you can't deny it in Birmingham there's proliferation of drug use. There's proliferation of other things. That's what cities, these are the things that cities of that size face. But what can we do as a people? In the case of Nathan Crumbly, his parents failed him. In the case of Richard Richards, the system failed him. In the case of Birmingham, I think it's a complete failure of the entire system. We don't value life enough. We don't value people enough. I once told people I'm pro-life. In this world, we have to value people more than anything because life and, and human beings are the most important thing. 
you don't exist. I mean, you, you cars can be here. The cars would need somebody to drive the car, somebody to live in the house, somebody to buy the shoes, somebody to travel around the world to eat at the restaurants. You need people for that. That is the best resource in the world. That is the most important and most valuable resource. People invent. People build things. People are the economies of cities. Yet I wonder if we really understand what being pro-life is. In our pursuit of things, we have forgotten about people and the importance of people. That means we need to work on mental health, but we think that's too expensive to work on. I listened to a podcast from the weeds the other day and they were talking about CRT and things like mental health and social workers and all those things and say, Oh, those things cost money. They're so expensive. The money doesn't matter. I want to tell people in that situation, the money doesn't matter. We need the people who can help other people in the right places to do the right things. Maybe if the school had the right resources, Nathan Crumbly wouldn't have shot and killed the people he killed. Maybe if we had the right mental health worker in place, we could have stopped Richards from being killed. Maybe if Birmingham had the right sources, kids in schools, things for the parents. Maybe, just maybe, they wouldn't reach a milestone of 125 murders in a year. That's why I find is wrong with our nation. We put more value in things. We argue over we argue over roads and bridges. We think that's so valuable because we got roads and bridges, but we put more value in buying pipelines than we do in people. Ensuring their health and their welfare. I think, you know, Making sure people got proper salaries so they can feed their kids. So they don't have to work three and four jobs and they can be at home with the kids so they can know what's going on with their kids. Making sure that, like I said, uh, uh, making sure that health care is taken care of in this country. Mental health. Alabama has uh, is one of those states where they have a problem with mental health. There's some corruption in some of the systems. Some of the people have been complaining about what happens to some of these kids caught up in that system. Some of them end up in the prison complex. Some of them end up as the homicides on the streets in Birmingham. In Michigan, I'm sure there's an issue there as well. Why are we valuing the gun over people? Why is that so important? Why is this need for power so important? Because that's all the gun, the, having a gun is about. It's about power. I want, I want, I want, I need. It's my freedom. Your life is your freedom. The very fact that you have life is freedom. That should be what's important to you. And I guess that's where I'm going to end today. Three hard stories. Three hard situations. Maybe we can change something. Y'all have a wonderful day. You have been listening to Thought Your Awoke No Speed Limit Podcast.